welcome to the podcast. We've got fresh content from some of the brightest minds in the Bitcoin, blockchain, and crypto space. With feeds on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram that make it so incredibly easy to keep to the pulse of what's happening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and even hit the share button to send to someone you know who would love to know about this totally free podcast. Huge thanks to our main sponsor, UnoCoin, who are not only India's leading crypto assets blockchain company, but also the reason why this podcast is available to you completely free of charge. With that said, let's jump into one of the Blockchain Impact Conference talks that took place in Toronto, Canada on December 8th, 2017. Enjoy. Most of the events I get invited to are in the United States, and uh, the ones that are outside are usually in Europe. And one of the reasons why I wanted to come here is this is my first time to Canada, and there's a lot of innovative things uh, that are happening here. And then uh, second, uh, because uh, Sunny's company, uh, Unicoin, is in uh, India, uh, I view uh, uh, India and China, Southeast Asia, as a hotbed of uh, where the future of Bitcoin uh, might go and, and be influenced by. Great. So welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Okay, so let's get right into it. Uh, let's first start maybe with a little bit about your background yep. and where you're coming from before we get into the meat of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in short, uh, you know, I spent about two thirds of my career in the private sector, but about one third of it in the public sector. I really believe in giving back and uh, doing what you can to make your country better. And so I served in three different positions uh, in public service. My first uh, job was. Uh, to be the regulator of uh, a large segment of the healthcare industry in America. Uh, so I was director of the Office of Health Maintenance Organizations. And then my second stint in public service was uh, to be a senior staffer at the White House uh, under George W. Bush, where I was one of the people in charge of political appointments. So everything from Chief Justice of the Supreme Court to the uh, Treasury Secretary to the head of OSHA and the SEC Commission. And then my last stint was that President Bush asked me to become the Director of the United States Mint. Uh, that's uh, one of the oldest government agencies. It was created by the Constitution. Uh, it was actually established in 1792, and there's only been 38 Americans who have ever served in that position. So I know, uh, let's see, how many miners are out there? Anyone uh, in the miners? Okay, so you have a little bit of a glimpse of what it's like to make money. Uh, I actually made money, so uh, quarters, pennies, nickels. Yeah. So, so I was gonna say, because I, mean, I, I, I think a lot of people maybe don't know exactly what the, the Mint does. So do you want to maybe take us through you know, exactly what happens or what sure. it was like? Uh, the Mint in two minutes. It was established in 1792 because America, as a fledgling country, needed a unified currency. And uh, so the founders uh, decided that was important enough to put into the Constitution. And from that, uh, the modern Mint now has three purposes. One is to make enough uh, circulating currency to uh, facilitate uh, uh, transactions in the economy. Uh, number two is to provide uh, precious metal bullion for financial investors. So we're the largest maker and seller of gold, silver, and platinum bullion in the world. Uh, we sell, let's see, and under my tenure, the uh, demand increased by 900%. Uh, so uh, we ended up uh, going from roughly $2.3 billion of revenue to about almost $5 billion of revenue just from uh, precious metal bullion. And then the last uh, item, which is a minor part of our business, is we make collector's versions of all the uh, circulating currency. So we can make a quarter out of pure silver uh, because that interest collectors. I gotta ask you a question. What is money? <laughs> 
Well, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to talk about the characteristics of money than it is to define money, but basically it's a unit uh, that measures of value and is fungible and, uh, and can be used as a medium of exchange. Nice, so interesting. I, I do find it interesting that, you know, a lot of us, we run after money, yet you rarely define, you know, they don't teach us in school. Okay, so I gotta ask, when did you discover Bitcoin and, and what is it about Bitcoin that interests you? So the first time I heard about Bitcoin was in 2000, late 2010 when the white paper came out. And I remember on one of my strategic, uh, you know, what's going on in the industry briefings by my staff, there was a little footnote uh, saying that uh, this white paper had been published and it posited uh, digital currency. And um, uh, so you know, that was my first exposure to it. So Bitcoin really didn't take off until after uh, I retired as the director of the Mint. And the thing that attracts me most about uh, Bitcoin is that when I take a look at uh, money, as we all know it, uh, which is uh, for most of us, it's fiat currency, uh, it is uh, basically it's a centralized currency. The country uh, puts it out, it controls it, uh, and as a result, uh, whenever you have a monopoly on a particular item, uh, that monopoly, uh, whoever has the monopoly power ends up sub, uh, um, can subject that uh, commodity uh, to be manipulated for its own ends. And if it's by a government, a lot of times the manipulation is they wanted citizens to buy this and not to buy that, or you know, to avoid cigarettes or this. Uh, and, and so as a result, when I looked at Bitcoin, what really struck me, and this was in about 2012, that Bitcoin really was a uh, free market alternative to government's monopoly on money. And so how do you destroy a monopoly? Well, it's through competition. And so I believe that Bitcoin has a very vital role in keeping fiat currencies honest. And this is from someone who made fiat currencies. That's awesome. We got that on video. Okay, so, uh, okay, so that's all I got. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Okay, so, so, so that video will prevent me from being confirmed for any other Senate uh, type uh, so. so yeah, I literally have about a million questions, uh, Fred, but I, I know some of you may too. So as I'm just continuing on, if you want to just put your hand up, I'll, I'll definitely get to you. Okay, so I wanted to ask you a question. So yesterday we were having an interesting chat about, uh, about so how do we solve some of these problems, right? It's like there's this lack of regulation and governments think that they need to maybe move in and make some regulations and then the industries. So you, you're, you're alluding to the idea, or the importance rather, of self-regulation. So I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so uh, let me give you uh, regulation 101 all the way to an advanced course in three minutes. How's that? So regulation, uh, regulation uh, comes from a law, and the law is generally passed when something bad happens. So let me give you a couple examples. The Federal Reserve was created to regulate the banking system in 1913 after a major run on the banks caused a lot of bankruptcies during that time. The Securities Exchange Commission was created to regulate uh, financial securities after the Great Depression when a lot of people lost a lot of money uh, during, the, uh, 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 during that financial crisis. And so generally, um, a law then is passed saying the government needs to get involved because people got hurt. So 90% of the regulations out there are to prevent people from getting hurt more, whereas about 10% are we want to get our fingers into an industry and manipulate. 
Okay? So most of the regulations are to prevent bad things from happening to ordinary people. After that law is passed, then an agency, that law authorizes an agency to be created, and then they begin regulating based on uh, all those laws. So in America, in the app, you know, so it was a really interesting question. When Mount Gox happened, Janet Yellen, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, was being interviewed, uh, not interviewed, but being grilled at a congressional hearing, and uh, one of the um, uh, members, uh, congressional members said, um, Madam Chairman, what are you gonna do to protect citizens from things like Mount Gox when it affects Bitcoin? And she said, uh, you know, Senator, uh, that is totally up to you because right now uh, the Federal Reserve has no authority over Bitcoin specifically, and if you want us to regulate it, you're welcome to pass a law about it. Okay, so very, very fair answer. So what does that mean? That means that in absence of a law to regulate Bitcoin, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have multiple dimensions to it. There are multiple agencies out there that laws have been passed because they regulate a security, they regulate a commodity, uh, you know, they regulate uh, um, uh, taxes, etc. So there's existing law out there, and so in the absence of a law, the regulatory agencies are thinking, what characteristic of Bitcoin, for example, falls under our jurisdiction? And we're gonna start regulating that just like we do anything else that is traded as a commodity or is traded as a financial security. And uh, the problem with that approach is that um, uh, you get this hodgepodge and you might get one part of the government saying, this isn't really money. And on the other part, you get the, another part of the government say, yes it is, and when that value of the money increases from X to Y, that's capital gains. And so you get contradictory parts of how to regulate it. So, how do you get around that? Two ways you get around that. One is you wait until a crisis comes up, of which a lot of people are gonna lose money, and I believe the uh, ICO movement is very ripe for the government to come in and do something about that. When, when people start losing a lot of money there, you're gonna get the government coming in and regulating that. So, then you have a government who's not very sophisticated, who's running way behind where the cutting edge of this industry is, and you're gonna have them try to figure out the rules of how to regulate you. So that's option number one. But option number two, as you mentioned, is self-regulation. And so that's one thing that I've been trying to encourage uh, the industry uh, to think more of. Uh, this is the same thing as, um, as educational institutions. Educational institutions like colleges and universities aren't regulated directly by the government. What they have done is they themselves have formed an accreditation institution of which anyone who wants to be accredited needs to jump through all these various hoops. They get their accreditation and they have a record that once they do all of that, none of these financial institutions end up uh, uh, acting in fraudulent behavior, disappearing, taking tuition, and never delivering the education, etc. And so that's where I think if you want principled uh, way to uh, uh, develop your business with the least amount of regulatory interference, it is the industry figuring out how to self-regulate itself.
Excellent. Okay, so right before we go to questions, do you want do you want to say a few more things before we uh, turn it over to the audience? No, nope. uh, all right. So I saw a hand up here. Yes, by the way, I've been grilled by Ron Paul in a hearing. I can handle any question that comes out of this audience. All right. So we have a we have a. Uh, so I'll, I'll take this gentleman's question, but we're going to put a mic on that stand right in the middle there. So um, we're going to take let's say oh, we have time for a couple of questions. So if you'd like to ask questions, you can come and line up behind that mic. But we'll start with you, sir. Hi. There seems to be a movement among several countries to try and um, reduce the use of cash. Yes. For example, India uh, making illegal uh, the high denomination. Yeah, but, but that's mainly to address a corrupt uh, taxation issue rather than uh, uh, to um, uh, prevent cash from being in people's hands. Uh, Sweden and a lot of Scandinavian countries are more typical of that. You know, Sweden wants to become the first cashless nation. Uh, followed closely by Singapore has uh, got a goal to be cashless in 2020. So here's a problem with that. Um, uh, this, if you look it up on the internet, it all comes under the uh, category of the war on cash. And it uh, ranges from banning cash completely to uh, capital, um, you know, preventing uh, 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 capital from going from your country and, and out, you know, capital flow. And so uh, the danger in that, and it was already mentioned before, uh, you know, Greece is one example, Cyprus is another example. Uh, when, when the government has a fiat currency and it eliminates cash, and here in the United States, Larry Summers, the former Treasury Secretary, talked about getting rid of 50 and 100, uh, $100 bills for the same reason that only criminals use that. Uh, so what ends up happening is when all your money's electronic, the government has a lot of control over it. And right now, what that means is, if it's electronic, that money is flowing over proprietary um, electronic highways that either the government or the banking system has, uh, has built. And because those highways are there, the government can regulate that very easily. Uh, they have speed limits, they have size limits, they tell you what cars can go on and off, of, uh, you know, what can come on and off the on-ramps, etc. And uh, uh, you know, so the movement on the war on cash may seem, okay, you know, it's more efficient, electronics more efficient, uh, it's cheaper, there's less friction, how can that be bad? Well, the reason it can be bad is, well, once it's electronic, the government can, can control it. And the people, I believe it was in Cyprus, uh, there was a banking crisis. And Cyprus was the first country to do a bail-in. So uh, what is a bail-in? Um, in Cyprus, they have a, kind of an FD, their version of uh, deposit insurance. And so it, it's insured by the government up to $100,000. But they needed money, so they went to all the depositors and banks that needed money. It basically said, any amount that you're holding in savings, over $100,000, we're going to take 40% of it. But they didn't tell anybody. You went to sleep one night with $200,000 in your bank account. And you woke up the next morning with $160,000 in your bank account. And, and just a note, uh, I think in the past year, the government of Canada has made that a legal possibility for the Canadian bank yes. system. Yes, and part of uh, what I believe Larry Summers was trying to do is set the stage to put another uh, tool in the Fed's toolbox should there be another banking crisis. And so what's the alternative to that? 
it is getting outside those financial highways. And the advantage of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is that they're made to be uh, transferred over the internet and not on anybody's uh, proprietary uh, electronic highway. Just a, a last question I can't resist giving me his former position as the director of the Mint. Is the gold in Fort Knox real? <laughs> I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the truth of that is I'm one of the few people that have uh, seen the gold. Uh, Fort Knox reports to uh, the director of the Mint, and the United States uh, holds uh, 8,100 tons of gold in our gold reserves, which is at least three times the next largest country. Uh, and uh, the majority of that gold is stored in Fort Knox, but uh, for security purposes, it's also stored in other, other places. But I have seen the gold, and what's really cool about the gold is, so that gold was there because Roosevelt banned the use of gold in 1933 as money. So everybody had to turn in their $20 gold coins or $5 gold coins and get a $20 bill from the government, but that bill was not redeemable for gold anymore. So uh, a lot of people said, oh gosh, that's awful. You know, why did he do that? He just hated America. No, 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 no. When he was elected, he needed to revitalize the country. And in order to do that, he promised a new deal. But uh, when you have money that is a gold standard, you can only print as much money as you have gold for. And we printed all the money that we have gold for. So how do you print more money? You get more gold. And so overnight, they went from $4 billion of gold back in those dollars, uh, in dollars back in uh, 1933, to $12 billion of gold. And further, he unilaterally um, uh, reduced the exchange rate of gold from $20 an ounce to $35 an ounce. So then he doubled the $12 billion to almost uh, uh, third, uh, 12, he almost did it to uh, $20 billion, which ended up funding the New Deal. So the cool part of it is, a lot of those uh, gold bars, even though they're 400 ounces, are not the bright, shiny color of gold that you normally associate with. It's 90-10, because all those coins had 10% alloy in them, so all these gold bars kind of look a little dirty. <laughs> yes, sir. So speaking of gold, I was wondering if you could talk about Bitcoin as a storage value for savings or yes. Yes, so Bitcoin is stored value. Well, so if you want to store value over a long period of time, you want to make sure it doesn't go down to zero. And so I think uh, what gold has proven over 5,000 years is gold may fluctuate in price, but it's never going to be worth zero because it has other uses besides just a store of value. It has uh, uses in electronics and computer science and uh, art because it can be pounded into gold foil and used for sculptures, et cetera, et cetera. So you have other things that establish the value of gold, so it will never be uh, worth zero. Whereas a security, like Lehman Brothers stock, one day it was worth $40 and the next day it was actually worth zero, right? And people lost money on Bear Stearns was the same way. Bitcoin hasn't been around long enough to be viewed as a, um, as a mechanism for stored value. And so uh, right now, in my view, Ed Boy's view, Bitcoin as a investment is mainly a, uh, a speculative investment that has the potential over time to be stored value. Do, do you potentially see the governments mining Bitcoin? 
Governments mining Bitcoin. So that's kind of happening now. So uh, the first attempt was uh, two years ago. Ecuador said, uh, our economy's in a toilet. Nobody wants our money. Uh, we can't borrow any more money because we can't even pay the interest on all the debt that we borrowed uh, the money from. And so they got up with a bright new idea. We're gonna create our own cryptocurrency and we're gonna pay our uh, government employees with this cryptocurrency. And so in the end, that was a failed experiment, although they're still trying to figure out a way to work it out, because one of the uh, concepts uh, that I think uh, uh, allow Bitcoin to have the possibility of being stored value in the future, it's limited to 21 million coins, right? It's just like gold. Uh, you know, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, uh, after he was an inventor, he was the director of the Royal Mint for 16 years. And uh, he set the modern gold standard because he tried to uh, create gold in a laboratory. It was called alchemy. And he couldn't. And so therefore, then he said, if gold has a limited amount and it has all these desirable properties, then uh, um, we can maintain the value of gold. And so he came up with the uh, price per ounce roughly of $20 back in those times. So uh, Ecuador tried it, it, and it didn't work. Venezuela just announced recently it's gonna try it. So anytime, you, uh, what these countries are doing is that they're using elements of digital currencies that appeal to them, but they're not uh, uh, buying into the uh, decentralization, they're not buying into the limitations, etc. And so what they're basically doing is creating a more efficient currency from electronic to digital, uh, but still having the same problems as fiat currency. So I don't think it will work. Do you think that Bitcoin may ever become the reserve currency of the world? Uh, you know, there's certainly a chance, but uh, I think the world is complicated, and what will end up happening uh, is that uh, there will be many different kinds of currency and many different kinds of payment systems of which countries and individuals will use the one that's most convenient and, um, and efficient for that particular transaction. It just became like the Indian Marble Walter. So okay, we'll just do one more. Uh, so you mentioned that uh, crypto may have the ability to kind of keep the fiat currencies honest. And that seems to me like another way of saying to kind of remove power from governments. Yes. And that provides, a, seems to me, a very clear conflict for regulators for how to regulate for innovation versus how to regulate to not lose yeah. power. Yeah, so how do, how do you see realistically in the next you know, 10, 20 years uh, how that interplay is gonna go and, and how to try to convince regulators to try to regulate for innovation and not just to lack, to, to stop the loss of their own power? Yes, so uh, centralized countries uh, like, or I would say not central, more centralized countries than less centralized countries like Russia and China are taking positions of uh, severely restricting or even uh, prohibiting uh, Bitcoin transactions because that affects uh, how they, as a political philosophy, uh, run their government. However, in more market-based economies, I think there's gonna be much more tolerance uh, for a wider variety and uh, uh, more alternatives. But I also uh, think right now the reason why, like the Fed, studies it, but it doesn't pay much more attention to Bitcoin and other cryptos, is that uh, the market cap of crypto is so infinitesimally small to the uh, dollar base, the US dollar base, uh, that it's insignificant to them. Until it's not. What? Until it's not. 
but it's going to have to go up significantly from here in order to uh, uh, get the attention of the Federal Reserve. Awesome. So with that, guys, uh, help me to thank Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with a friend you think would appreciate the send. Up next, more talks from past conferences. Thanks for listening.